Um, I'm Philip, I'm one of the pastors, I'm going to teach from the Bible in a moment, um, but to get us there, given that it is Advent, the Christmas tree would have given you a clue if you missed out already, uh, but we cheekily started our Advent series last week, um, because just that's what we're like, but also because of the lack of Sundays as you just saw, and what we're doing is spending three Sundays looking at three different wonderful Christmas carols, honing on a particular verse in those carols and letting that lead us into the truth of scripture, which was uh, great to do last week, and this week our carol, which I'm sure you'll sing along, because you as Ross discovered last week, you can't just sit in your seats and not sing these wonderful carols. Uh, so Christy and Emeka and Jamie are going to lead us in the wonderful carol that is Angels from the Realms of Glory.
good. Thank you, guys. That was brilliant. Thank you. Uh, so, Angels from the Realms of Glory, for those of you who like a bit of history, written by James Montgomery in 1816. Uh, he said he was particularly inspired, he said, by on Christmas Eve, uh, reading through Luke chapter 2 and verses 13 and 14 about the heavenly host of angels. He'd recently come back to faith. He was reading these verses on Christmas Eve, and that's what inspired this wonderful, wonderful carol. But what about this verse? And actually, this verse didn't come up on the screen just then. There's a little bit of uh, lyrical variation, I think, in how these carols are sung. But the verse that didn't come up on the screen that I want to put to you, but hopefully it will do when we sing it at the end of this talk, is this. Saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear, suddenly the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. I'm guessing you may have sung these lyrics over the years. Even if you're, you wouldn't say you're a Christian, you're looking into these things, you probably have heard these lyrics, even sung them at a carol service or something. But what do they mean? Well, I think if you carry on reading Luke 2, you will see that James Montgomery was reading all of Luke 2 to write this wonderful, wonderful carol. Let me show you what I mean. I'm in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2, the second gospel in the New Testament. And we've had those, those verses 13 and 14, the angels appearing to the shepherds that inspired this carol in the first place. The shepherds have visited Jesus and they've returned praising God for this amazing encounter with Christ at Christmas. And verse 25 of chapter 2 goes like this. As Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him of all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Do you see what I mean? I wonder whether this is the passage that caused James Montgomery to write, saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear. Suddenly, the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. I can't prove definitively that, that was, this is what he, what he meant, but I think it's pretty reasonable given that he was in Luke 2 anyway. So this priest that Mary and Joseph meet in the temple, he's called Simeon, and he's essentially been faithfully serving in the temple his whole life, waiting for this moment. So he's been holding on to the, the general promise of God, 
that one day God would send the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would, who would bring consolation, in other words, comfort, in other words, freedom to the people of Israel. And he's been holding on to the specific promise of God that he would get to see the day when that happened. And then Anna, who's also an elderly person, she's a, an elderly widow with the gift of prophecy. She's been too faithfully serving, praying, fasting, worshiping in the temple, also waiting for the same thing, the redemption of Israel, as Luke puts it, the same thing that um, Simeon's been waiting for. So they are the saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear. And I put it to you, that both Simeon and Anna, this first Christmas, Jesus is just 40 days old, experience a combination of peace and awe and gratitude as they encounter Christ that first Christmas. So by peace, I mean that kind of, that sense of, ah, all is well with my soul, peace. And by awe, I mean that sense of, wow, a bit like Jason was praying before perhaps. And by gratitude, of course, I mean that sense of thank you. They experience peace and awe and gratitude that first Christmas. And here's the big idea this morning, that just as Simeon and Anna in their old age experience peace and awe and gratitude as they encounter Christ that first Christmas, so can you this Christmas. That's an experience, that's an inheritance that is for all of us this Christmas to know peace and awe and gratitude. I'm sure you're wishing for all kinds of things this Christmas. Wishing for families to come together, perhaps, to get on, maybe, for great presents, uh, to meet that special someone, for great food, for Brexit to be sorted out, all kinds of things I'd be wishing for. But I would have thought most of us would love to know at least a combination of peace and awe and gratitude this Christmas. And you can. Here's how. Let's look at peace, first of all. So look at how Simeon responds when, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, he discerns that this little baby, this little 40-day-old baby, is the one that the people have been waiting for for hundreds of years. I haven't got these verses on the screen, forgive me, but if you have your Bibles, verse 29 says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He's saying, I can... I can die now completely content. My soul is well. The desire of my heart to physically see the fulfillment of God's promise to bless all people, Jew and Gentile, is it's in my hands right now. My soul is well. I can know peace. And to know peace is it's no small thing, is it? I mean, to know peace at Christmas is sometimes no small thing with some of the hecticness and busyness and, and even stress and even heartache sometimes at Christmas. So to know peace at Christmas is no small thing. And to know peace as you approach your final days, as this elderly man Simeon does, is no small thing is either. Think about what, what are people often in the modern 21st century, what often do we say when someone passes away? We say, rest in peace, RIP. It's all over different people's uh, language when someone passes away. Because I think that, that phrase just taps into something in all of us to, to know peace and a, and a peace that will endure and even a peace that will endure beyond the grave. Rest in peace. Is it possible there would be a peace that this person could have the other side of death? There's something in there, isn't there, in that language in our modern day. Well, Simeon has found a peace and it's not a fleeting peace. 
It's not even a circumstantial peace. It's a peace that he knows is going to endure all the way to his final days. And actually, it's going to endure beyond. He knows there's a hope beyond the grave. He's glimpsing this little baby is going to punch a hole through death one day. And through, through faith, will draw anybody else through that ceiling of death into life. Really can rest in peace, not just at Christmas, but in eternity. Secondly, awe. Simeon goes on to pray, my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Like that is the language of awe, isn't it? My eyes are seeing God's promise that you've spent hundreds of years waiting for. It's here. Yeah, a few years ago in, um, in uh, 2015, before the Rugby World Cup of 2015, I was uh, sat in the GP's waiting surgery, the one in Fairfield Park in Kingston, uh, waiting to see my, uh, see, my, see my GP. And as I was just waiting, this guy came and sat down next to me. And he wasn't just any guy. It's very clear, this was not just any guy. This was a six foot three, 17 stone, not an ounce of fat on him kind of guy who sat down next to me. And I'm a pretty big rugby fan, as many of you know. I realize this is Chris Robshaw, who was the then England rugby captain just before the Rugby World Cup. And I experienced a moment of awe in that moment. In fact, I could have almost cried out, my eyes have seen our salvation. A light for revelation to the world and for glory to your people. I was in awe in that moment of sat next to Chris Robshaw. However, he failed to lead into anything like World Cup glory that year. We were knocked out in the group stages. And so my awe did not last very long. I happen to admire him very much, but my awe did not last very long. But for Simeon, this is, this is lasting awe. This is the kind of awe that is going to endure and last. He's, he knows the baby he's holding is remarkable. Like, you know, awe is what we experience, isn't it? We experience awe, I put it to you, when we encounter someone or something of remarkable power or beauty or that, that moves us. That's what causes us to experience awe, isn't it? And he, Simeon knows he's holding a baby that contains remarkable power and remarkable beauty and moves him to know this lasting awe. My eyes have seen your salvation. And thirdly, gratitude. Thirdly, gratitude. I mean, Simeon's language, you can see, is the language of gratitude. But more specifically, look at Anna, this remarkable older lady. Verse 38, it says, At that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she is at the temple at the same time. She sees this moment happening, and she's brought to incredible gratitude after decades of waiting for it, praying for it, and her response is, thank you, God, you've done it. All your promises are true and trustworthy. Thank you, God. You've brought us freedom and blessing. I don't know exactly what it looks like. She's probably thinking, but I know that freedom is coming. Blessing is coming. God is amongst his people. Thank you. Gratitude, awe, and peace. At which point you might say, well, that's, that's lovely for Simeon and Anna. I think if I was holding physically Jesus, the, the incarnate deity, as another carol says, God in human form, I think I too would experience peace and awe and gratitude. Or you might say, well, hang on, I've, I've read the rest of the text here, Philip. If I was righteous and devout like Simeon is, or I was praying and fasting day and night like Anna, 
and, and old and wise and mature in the faith like them, then maybe, I guess, I, would, or I too would know peace and awe and gratitude this Christmas. But you might say, I, I don't feel very righteous and devout. I'm not praying, fasting night and day. I've only recently become a Christian. I'm not yet a Christian. I've been a Christian for a long time, but I'm going through some tough moments at the time. I don't feel very mature and wise and solid in the faith. So no awe, no peace, no gratitude for me then this Christmas. The gospel's good news. And if it's good news, that good news must endure not just through the moment of salvation. It must endure through the Christian life. And I put it to you that Simeon and Anna, in their older years, like every older Christian has an awful lot to teach us. Five things. I want to encourage you to let God speak through his word and through these two remarkable people and they will teach us some of the hows of of experiencing peace and awe and gratitude and encountering Christ afresh at Christmas. So let God teach you right now through them. Five P's. In fact, more than five P's. It's all alliteration. But the first P. One of the P's it means they can experience peace or gratitude at Christmas. His patience. Who finds patience easy? Just me then. It is hard. I don't find it easy. But for Simeon and Anna, their encounter with Jesus at Christmas and all that it brings, peace or gratitude, has a lot to do with their patience. Luke tells us they've spent years, quotes, waiting. Montgomery and his carol says they've been watching long. Anna is 84 years old. We know that she was widowed seven years after marrying. In that culture, she'd have married probably as a teenage girl. So almost certainly she's been widowed since her early, mid-twenties. That's six decades. That's long watching, long waiting for the promises of God. And she's therefore a single woman. She's serving the people of God. She's prophesying. That means she's hearing some of the voice of God and sharing God's voice with people. She's waiting, praying night and day for 60 years to see this thing happening. That is, that is patience. Now, given that she's been praying night and day in the temple, given that Simeon is a devout priest in the temple, we can assume they've been continually encountering God. This is not like they've been doing nothing for 60 years. They've been in constantly enjoying, encountering God. It's not like they've been waiting for a one-off moment, but... Is it not true to say that without their patience, they would have missed this incredible encounter with Christ at Christmas? So here's a question. Are you prepared to be patient this Christmas? It's going to be a busy time probably for many of us. Might not be. Might be a lonely time for many of us. But are you going to be patient this Christmas? In other words, do you always expect God to turn up on your terms according to your diary and your commitments? Or will you patiently wait for him on his terms? The Bible says that God's ways are not always our ways. His timing is not always our timing. We don't live in a culture that I think particularly embodies patience. We like it yesterday better, don't we? Hebrews 6, Hebrews 6 verse 7 says, Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. There's a call here to imitate Simeon and Anna, who through faith and patience did inherit what had been promised. Literally, the promise of Christ and then all that comes with it. What does it mean for you to patiently wait on Christ this Christmas? Second P, 
Second P. Their patience means they can also endure pain. Anna's life, and we're speculating to a degree, but I think it's reasonable, Anna's life was clearly turned upside down. She got married, and then seven years later, she's widowed, probably in her early 20s. With all the vulnerability and shame that being a single widow in that culture brought, her life is turned upside down. This is not what she expected. And yet here she is, 60 years later. She's clearly endured. She clearly made decisions along the lines of, I am not going to let my circumstances define me. I won't even let uh, broken dreams define me. She's clearly made decisions over and over and over again through the ups and downs of her widowhood and singleness to say, God is faithful. He, He does fulfill his promises. He can be trusted. And here she is, six decades on, standing on those promises, enjoying God, having endured the pain of what she went through and probably what she's been through over the decades as a widow in that culture particularly. Second question, are you enduring pain this Christmas? I know, I know some of you are. For many of you, it could be the pain of disappointment. Perhaps like uh, Anna, Life was not supposed to go this way. And maybe Christmas just emphasizes the point that life has not gone this way. Maybe it is the the difficulty, the struggle, if you find it so, of of being single, particularly at Christmas. can be hard. I spent many a Christmas as a single guy wondering and not always wondering, sometimes just struggling. It's interesting that in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, when he prays for the church, which he does all the time, he doesn't actually often pray that Christians' painful circumstances will change. (laughs) What he prays more often is that they will endure well. He prays that a lot, that people would find the strength to endure. See, Anna has endured well. She's endured pain. And she has found that there is a peace and an awe, and a gratitude that is for her at Christmas. And so can you. Third P, prayer. Part of her pain, and I think part of probably Simeon's pain, is the pain of unanswered prayer. They've They've been going on this prayer point for a long time, or at least not unanswered prayer, different answers to prayer. God's responses to our prayers are never... Uh, a neutral silence. He is answering, just not always in the way and the timing that we might like because we don't know the things that he knows. She's been worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day, verse 37. The Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians verse, chapter 5, verse 16, exhorts Christians to be praying continually. This is important, you see. Anna has not just waited patiently, and endured pain admirably, she's been active. She's been praying constantly. The Christian life, to be patient and endure, which is part of it, is not a call to passivity. It's not a call to passivity. It's a call to activity. And part of the activity of enduring and waiting is praying and learning to pray. I love the fact that Jason pointed us to our prayer meeting next Tuesday. If you're not sure how to pray or you find prayer hard, A, join the club. 
And B, literally, join the club. Come and pray with people. It's a great way to learn how to pray. We pray out loud together. We pray one-on-one. We pray in groups. Anna knew the gift of prayer. And it wasn't just that she was battling four things all the time in prayer. Though we do. And on Tuesday, we will. She knew the gift of prayer. The gift that it is to enjoy God. To find that your heart, corrupt and inconsistent as it is, starts to become a bit more like God's heart as you talk to him and hear from him. It's such a gift. And like all the best things in the world, it can sometimes be hard and take some effort. That's why we need each other to help each other to pray. So please don't think that prayer meetings are for holy, righteous, devout people. (laughs) They're for anyone that wants a touch of Christ at Christmas. And the peace and the awe and the gratitude that goes with that. And with then punching through things in prayer. And seeing carol services that don't just get big numbers in. But see people actually encountering Christ. And coming on Alpha courses next term. And and seeing new ministries to the elderly next year launch with fruitfulness. And and seeing our children and young people blessed and encouraged and new ministries. So we punch through things and battle for things. And stand in prayer for, for John and Sophie in Istanbul. We do all of that. But from the position of intimacy and childhood delight with the Father in prayer. And I think Anna and Simeon have a lot to teach us about that. Fourth P, the pursuit of his presence. Verse 37 says that Anna did not depart from the temple. And part of that was because it was a safe place for her. As I mentioned before, the cultural vulnerability of her widowhood. But she clearly pursued God's presence. She wanted to be where God was. And prior to Jesus becoming the temple and the high priest, that means that we can all come to the temple and be filled with the spirit and become a temple. Some gymnastics theologically there, but that's what it is. Prior to that happening, God's presence particularly profoundly dwells in the physical temple. And so she's there chasing after God's presence. Will you at Christmas with family and diaries and presents and logistics and organizations and work parties and friends and good things, mostly. And will there be a pursuit of the presence of God? Knowing the biblical promise that when you do that, he responds. You draw near, he's already there. What does it mean this Christmas to pursue the presence of God? Fifth P, prophecy. Anna is a prophetess. She's a woman that has a particularly weighty gift of hearing the voice in the heart of God and conveying it to others. Simeon, too, is able to hear from God and know something specific of God's will for him. They're clearly living lives in intimacy with God, hearing God's voice, sharing his heart with them. 1 Corinthians 14:1 says to every Christian, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. There's a particular profundity and wonder in the gift of prophecy. And every Christian, not just the 84-year-old righteous and devout ones, every Christian who's a child of the Father, united to Christ, is called to eagerly desire prophecy. Do you? Will you? Will we as a church eagerly desire hearing the voice of God, consistent with his general will revealed in the word of God, And yet with a specificity that can land in hearts and minds and change lives around and be a blessing. See, Anna and Simeon are holding on, yes, to the general will of God. But Simeon is holding on to specific prophetic promise. I'm not sure he would still be there if it wasn't for that. 
entering his final years. Who knows what his health is like and so on and so forth, but he's holding on to a prophetic promise from the Holy Spirit, you will not die until you see the anointed one, the Christ. And because of the gift of prophecy, the two of them are there at this moment of peace, awe, and gratitude. So, they, and I think we, can look this Christmas to grow in patience, to endure pain well, to pray continually, to pursue God's presence, and to desire prophecy. All things that came together and were ingredients in Simeon and Anna being able to have this remarkable encounter with Christ at Christmas and all the peace and the awe and the gratitude that came with it. And that may encourage you, and I hope it does. May even inspire you, and I hope it does. However, maybe some of you thinking, I've got a slight sinking feeling here. And I had a slight sinking feeling when I was writing this. Because I look at myself, honestly, I'm not sure I can do all of those things. I, I can't develop the kind of patience that carries me through times of not seeing what I'm believing for in God. I don't have that as a natural resource. Maybe you do, but I don't. I'm not sure I can, secondly, endure the pain and disappointment well. I find prayer really hard sometimes. I don't always choose to draw near and pursue God's presence even though I know he's so willing and ready. And I'm not anywhere near as prophetic as I like to be. So what does this Christmas hold for me? If not peace, awe and gratitude. Does it hold mediocrity and boredom? No, the gospel is good news. It must keep on being good news. And the gospel is not only the news that you, if you're not yet to be in the family of God, can, through faith in Christ, be forgiven, be restored, be healed, and the pinnacle of the whole thing be adopted into the family of God. It is also the news that the same God will give you more gifts and will give you all that you need to live a life as a flourishing child in the family of God and as a follower of Jesus. So if you're thinking, I'm not sure I can really do those five Ps, good, you should be. That's part of Christianity is saying, I, I don't have it all together, I am weak. If you are thinking, right, five Ps, patience, endure pain, get good at prophecy, uh, I've already forgotten the other two, pursue his presence and pray continually, yep. <laughs> you're, you're a lot more righteous and devout than me, option A. Option B, just haven't heard what I've been saying. Option C, you are naive. We're not supposed to be able to do these things in our own strength. Let me take you back into the passage and show you that even better, as much as those five things are, I want you to take good choices this Christmas and we are responsible for choices. The big picture of salvation, God is sovereign. He knows who's coming ultimately to faith in him, but we're also held responsible for the choice that we make to accept or reject Christ. And then if we do accept Christ and become an adopted child of God, we are responsible for the choices that we make. These five Ps are good choices to make, to choose to pray, to pursue prophecy, to grow in patience and to endure pain well. They will cause you to grow and be healthy, secure, flourishing Christians. But the bottom line is you can't do that on your own. But I've got better news for you. And look at verse 25. Here's Simeon 
righteous and devout, this impressive man of God. What does it say? Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the redemption, the freedom, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Forgive me for emphasizing the point, but it's in bold, underlined. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And in case you were unsure, Luke, the author, wants you to know, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. What do you think Luke wants you to know? He wants you to know even Simeon couldn't do what he, could, what he was doing without the presence and the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. There's good news here. Part of the wonder of the triune God that we have is that as the Son responded to the Father's sending and came, so too the Son sends the Holy Spirit because he says to the disciples, in, in my paraphrase, simple terms, you've got no chance of doing anything that I'm commanding you to do without God the Holy Spirit. And let's just tap it in specifically to these five Ps. Patience. Galatians 5, chapter 22. What's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit dwelling in a believer? Patience. That's something he comes to bring. You lack patience? Great to acknowledge it. Holy Spirit brings that, gives the fruit of patience. Secondly, what about enduring pain? In John 14, 16, the same bit that I was just referring to before, Jesus asks the Father and says, Father, will you send the Holy Spirit? He said he calls him the Comforter. That is good news, isn't it? He doesn't say there's pain coming, which he does, and all the best. He says, I'm going to send the Comforter so that you can endure well. Not just any old bit of comfort. God, who calls himself the Comforter, will come. So you can endure remarkably well. You're not on your own when you endure uh, pain at Christmas. Thirdly, prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Spot the deliberate mistake when Paul says, pray all the time. And they'll know what he says in between that. Pray in the spirit at all times. A little memory verse for you when you go home. Ephesians 6, verse 18. Pray in the spirit. He knows you can't pray all the time when you're in your own strength. It's absolutely futile. Um, if I don't want my own, my own strength, four seconds of Lord Jesus. Oh, window, bird. Hey, you can't do it on your own. He says, pray in the spirit at all times. Romans 8, 26. Remarkable promise this. Even when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit is praying for us. So you can literally sit there and say, God, I don't know what to pray. Holy Spirit, I just can't believe that you're praying for me. Help me now. Pray. Remarkable. Fourthly, presence. Holy Spirit is the presence of God. He is the manifest presence of God, this side of the cross. And he waits to be invited this Christmas. Doesn't force himself on us. He waits to be invited. And fifthly, Prophecy, of course, you don't prophesy other than receiving a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. It means you haven't earned it. It's what a gift is. I'm not going to give my daughter a gift this Christmas because she's done really well. She's one. I'm going to give her a gift because I love her. Holy Spirit gives gifts because he loves you. He's for you. He wants to see you flourish and the church flourish as a result. He wants you to have here what he has, which in some extraordinary way, he knows the will of the Father perfectly. And he comes to give you the same gift of knowing the will of the Father, the heart of the Father, the voice of the Father, so that you keep it all to yourself. No, so that you can help others to step into the wonder of what it is to be a child of the Father, both believers and those who don't yet believe. You say, I, 
I'm, I'm a Christian, I don't know much, but I do know that I'm a child of the Father. And, 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 we, do, and we talk and we pray. And, and, I, and I sense that he was saying this to me the other day. And it might not make much sense to you, but I, I just wonder if God would say this to you. And you probably bring someone else with you just to kind of make it a, a safe and secure experience. The Holy Spirit gives that gift. But it gets, the good news gets better. None of the Holy Spirit come to make these five Ps possible and to lead you into awe and peace and gratitude this Christmas. God the Son, this is the wonder of the Trinity, God the Son is equally fundamental in making all of this happen. The Holy Spirit is only here because first, for the joy set before him, the Son responded in some extraordinary, eternally decided way to come to earth as Nick prayed out before and do all that he needed to do to be able to send the Holy Spirit to accelerate the church interaction. That's why in a minute we're going to sing the same carol that invites us to come and worship him, Jesus. Think about patience again, these five Ps. Jesus, who never once gave in to sinful impatience. Never once. He was indignant, definitely. Righteously frustrated, absolutely. But never once, never once. I'll get impatient this afternoon, almost certainly. And never once did Jesus get sinfully impatient. And the gospel means that through faith you are united to him who was never once and will never ever be sinfully impatient. Trust him for patience this Christmas. Adore him, worship him. Secondly, how do you endure pain? Yes, the comforter comes to empower you to do so. But look at Jesus. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. The writer says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, don't ever lose that point in Hebrews chapter 12. Not Jesus because he reluctantly had to, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God forever. How do you endure pain well this Christmas? You trust he who endured all pain for you. There is no pain that Jesus doesn't know. And we'll never know how much pain he went through. Spiritual far more than than physical. Receive the comforter and trust he who went to the cross enduring what we could never understand, the depths of pain and agony. Why? Because he had to. For the joy set before him to bring you into the family of God. Prayer. No one ever prayed like Jesus. And in the Garden of Gethsemane on the cross, Jesus knew, to some extent, unanswered prayer. He knew what it was to cry out, anything but this, and for the Father to turn his face away so that Jesus would absorb his full uh, wrath. Jesus knows, in that sense, unanswered prayer. Why? So that we will be able to pray. We can only pray because of what Jesus prayed. Presence. How do we know the presence of God this Christmas? Because of Jesus, the perfect high priest, the one who lived perfectly, never put a foot wrong, and is able to to go towards the inner inner circle of the temple and not only be the perfect high priest, but be the sacrifice as well. That means the temple curtain is ripped in two and you can come into the presence of God. Something that to Simeon and Anna was unthinkable. I'm not even sure they even knew the profundity of this little baby they were holding. That one day this little baby would make it possible to step into the presence of God. All the time. And fifthly, prophecy. Jesus is described as the perfect king. The perfect high priest. He's also the perfect prophet. 
He knows exactly the Father's heart. We will only ever prophesy imperfectly and in part. Trust the one who knows everything God knows, who's only ever said what is completely true. We don't have to try and prophesy perfectly. We receive the Spirit. We trust the one who sent the Spirit, who's the perfect prophet, who's revealed the heart of the will of God to us, and we step forward in faith. So what am I exhorting to do to you to this Christmas? Think about patience and presence and prayer and enduring pain and so forth. Absolutely. Your decisions do matter. They do have fruit and consequences, good and for ill. But fundamentally, I want you to say, of course I can't do those things. So this Christmas, I'm going to come and adore him. Come and worship him. Come and focus on Jesus, who had perfect patience, who endured all pain, who prayed perfectly, who made it possible for me to come into the presence of God, and who knows everything. So should we do that? Why don't we come and worship him? Maybe the band could join me. And shortly, we're going to share communion together. But let's stand. And my application is simply this, to sing, to enjoy, to worship, to come to Jesus this Christmas. So maybe I'll pray and we'll sing this wonderful carol together and then we'll lead into more worship and if you're hearing from God, come and share. We'll share communion. It's going to be a great few minutes together. Lord, I want to thank you for this man, James Montgomery, all those years ago. You drew him back to faith. And that one evening you just spoke to him. And he had no idea that the words he wrote we'd be singing 200 years later. And I thank you for this glimpse that he caught of Simeon and Anna. These saints bending at the temple, waiting long. I thank you for what they teach us. I thank you that we are, I think we have the opportunity to imitate those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises of God. May we do that, God. May we take steps of faith this Christmas. Take great decisions and know your awe and peace and gratitude this Christmas. But fundamentally, may we trust you, Jesus. May we come to you in worship and in adoration. And may we bring all that we have to you. And may we know you sanctifying us, cultivating us, transforming us, shaping us into your very image. And I I speak over this church this morning. More peace, more awe, more gratitude this Christmas than any before. Not because we can muster it by our efforts, but because we have one who is perfect in all ways. And who longs to give us the most wonderful, fresh encounter with his very self this Christmas. We're praying these things in your name, Jesus, because your name has power. Amen. Let's worship together.